Thank you for joining me today for week four of our churchless church programs in this COVID-19 crisis that our country is going through. Today's Easter Sunday, and this morning we focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why we celebrate Easter, and what a great day the Resurrection Sunday is, as we have considered the amazing story of the resurrection and how it applies to me, my past, my present, and my future. And uh, what a great truth the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. This evening, we're going to look at the resurrection from a, from a, uh, a perspective of skepticism. Uh, ever since Jesus Christ died and rose again, there have been skeptical people who have denied. And so God built into the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ information that was well documented at the time by eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses, well-documented information that helped to answer skeptic claims. Uh, Some of those uh, documented evidences come from two books that were written by a very highly intelligent individual, well-trained as a medical doctor by the name of Luke. Luke traveled extensively with the Apostle Paul and interviewed eyewitnesses of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He then wrote two books of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts of the Apostles. That is, the story of Jesus and then the story of the Apostles that followed Jesus. I want you to listen to what Luke said as he opened up the Gospel of Luke. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most assuredly believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. This intellectual individual, highly trained medical doctor, was writing this to a person of high social standing. He was called Most Excellent Theophilus, a title and name that would relate to a high social standing. And Luke wrote to Theophilus and said, I want to give you a credible account of eyewitness testimony of the things that I've taught you about Jesus Christ for this purpose that thou mightest know the certainty of these things. Then later, Luke wrote the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And here's how he opened up this book. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments 
unto the apostles whom he had chosen, whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And so Luke wrote for the purpose of giving a credible account of the truths about Jesus Christ, an account from eyewitnesses spanning 40 days of eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus Christ after his death. We have credible historical accounts that are worthy of being presented in a legal case before a judge and jury. We have authentic, real, historical evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yes, skepticism lives on. And so I've invited Chris Sisler to join with me today to talk about skepticism, to talk about people that have not believed until they examine the evidence and then believe, people from back in history, people from our contemporary world today. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation that I'll have with Chris Sisler. Chris uh, was saved in part through the ministry of Community Baptist Church, saved and then baptized and then called to preach. And then after his Bible college training, he and his wife Erica came and joined me on the pastoral staff here at CBC, and they helped me in the ministry uh, here at Community Baptist for a number of years, and then their family went to Rocha, Uruguay as missionaries, where they are currently serving. They have established the Community Baptist Church of Rocha, Uruguay, and so I'm going to invite Chris to come and join with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about skepticism this evening. Welcome, Chris. It is good to see you from all the way in Rocha. What's weather down there like? It's starting to get cold. We're starting to get into the winter a little bit, and so it's getting in the lower 70s, upper 60s, weather you would love. Yes, yes, yes. We're going into the worst time of the year for me. You're going into the (laughs) greatest time of the year. Yeah, you'll have to escape in your nice air-conditioned building. (laughs) That's about where I'll be this summer. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about is our faith credible? Uh, of course, today's Easter, and we've been talking about Easter all day today. And um, a lot of people don't believe that Jesus Christ really rose from the grave. And so the credibility of the Christian faith is always uh, at question at this time of year. So I thought maybe we could talk about some skeptical people uh, who at one time in their life did not believe that Jesus Christ was bodily risen from the grave, and and then they researched the historic claims, and and uh, and they ended up becoming believers, uh, and accepted the facts of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Uh, there's some some guys that that are older and of a different generation than either of your or my generation, uh, and uh, but they were men of high uh, reputation. I think of Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was uh, uh, involved in Harvard University Law School. He wrote 
three volumes on the laws of legal evidence and uh, disbelieved in Christianity, uh, mocked Christianity in his law classes there at Harvard. And then some Christian students challenged him. They challenged him to apply the books that he had written on the the laws of legal evidence and to apply those to the evidence in history for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he took up the challenge. And uh, Dr. Greenleaf ended up, as a result of the research he did into the resurrection of Christ, he became a believer. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, uh, and totally changed his life and his view of the Bible and the person of Jesus Christ. Later he wrote, and I quote, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the best established facts of history. Dr. Simon Greenleaf is a great testimony in Christian history of an intellectual individual who became a believer as a result of studying the credibility of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we could talk of other men. We could talk of of Benjamin uh, Gilbert West, um, professor at Cambridge, and uh, Lord Littleton, professor at Cambridge. They as well, uh, unbelievers who mocked Christianity, and set out to disprove Christianity, and they took a leave of absence, a sabbatical from their responsibilities at Cambridge, and one of them researched the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and one researched the credibility for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ with the intent that they would publish their findings and once and for all uh, disprove Christianity. And as a result of their research, they were honest men. They were honest researchers. They both became committed Christians, both received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believed what the Bible said, because Christianity had become credible to them. We can talk of Frank Morrison, who went through the same scenario and finally wrote his findings in the book, Who Moved the Stone? Well, those are guys from maybe a little bit further back in history. Your generation has some success stories of um, of men who didn't believe in Christ. Tell me about some of those guys. Sure. I know one of them, Josh McDowell, a guy who wrote the book, uh, More Than a Carpenter, was a skeptic of the things of Christ, didn't believe in the resurrection. But as he came to study it, he came to see the evidence and the truth and the facts of Jesus Christ that caused him to be a believer. And he's a great apologetic now, defender of the faith uh, for Jesus Christ. He's written many books. Another guy, Lee Strobel, he was an editor for the Chicago Tribune, didn't believe in God. Uh, he was an atheist, in fact, declared himself to be an atheist. And uh, he wanted to prove once and all that Christianity was not true. And so as an investigative reporter, began to study it, look into it, and he came, became convinced that, uh, that Jesus indeed rose from the grave and that he lives today. He wrote a great book, The Case for Christ, has written many other books, uh, Case for the Creator, and different things that are, are great help to us today in studying things. Uh, uh, there's another guy, Jay Warner Wallace, who is a, a cold case uh, uh, homicide detective and uh, looked at it, the, the case of Christ, from a, a detective's mind and uh, came to the same conclusion as the other men, that uh, there's enough evidence, there's enough facts to show that indeed that the resurrection story is true. And so from our perspective, from our modern day, there's people today that are looking back 2,000 years and looking over the evidence and coming to the same conclusion that Bible believers have believed for 
thousands of years, that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the grave. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it is. I remember that, um, uh, who was it, uh, Benjamin Gilbert West and Lord Littleton, when they published their findings, they wrote the statement, reject not until you have examined the evidence. Pretty yeah. interesting that honest, intellectual people who study the evidence have not rejected the evidence, but embraced the evidence and Jesus Christ, who the evidence points to. Pretty sure. impressive. I also remember that um, uh, Simon Greenleaf, when, when he wrote his uh, findings after uh, his research, he wrote, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most established facts in history. Interesting. Without a doubt. But skeptics are alive and well today. As a matter of fact, today, Easter Sunday, sometimes brings out the worst in some of the skeptics. Some um, liberal professors and liberal preachers will come out in, uh, at this time. Liberal within Christianity, um, liberal Christian uh, preachers and, and professors will come out at this time of year and, uh, and talk about their disbelief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and will replace it with some other explanation of what the resurrection is. And so skepticism is alive and well today. You face that in your generation uh, in talking to people and in your research and study of the Word of God. What are some of the Let's talk about some of the, the important questions that come up when the resurrection of Jesus Christ is talked about from a, a, a skeptical mindset. Let me ask you this, Chris. Is the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, really necessary to Christianity? Oh, without a doubt. You know, every year around this time you see articles pop up, different people writing that, Jesus Christ really didn't rise from the dead. Maybe there's a spiritual aspect to this, but bodily, he didn't really raise from the dead. That goes against what uh, the Apostle Paul told us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. He says that if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet dead in your sins. So he's saying if Christ did not rise from the dead, what you're really believing is worthless. There's no value to it. If you just believe that Jesus was a good person, if you just believe that he died on the cross for you, but he's still in a tomb today, he didn't bodily raise from the dead, your faith is worthless, and it says that you're still in your sins. There's no hope. There's no resurrection. There's no life after death because you are still in your sins. He talks about later in 1 Corinthians that, that our bodies will be raised up from the ground. That they will be changed. Now, if there was no bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, why would our bodies need to be changed? Wouldn't we just get new ones? If that was the case, why would the old ones have to come up from the ground? And so from Paul's teachings, from our understanding of what Paul says, yeah, there has to be a bodily resurrection uh, from, from the grave. And we have to have this resurrection in order to be saved. Hmm. So it wouldn't be enough to just have a spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has to be a bodily resurrection. Oh, without a doubt. If it was just a spiritual resurrection, his body wouldn't even be, you would go to the tomb, his body would still be there. They walked to the tomb and there was grave clothes, but his body wasn't there any longer. 
And so Jesus Christ bodily rose from the grave, and they saw him bodily, not as a spirit. Yeah. I found it interesting in some of the reading I've done that the custom of the people uh, was to wrap the body in uh, linen cloths and so that the body was encased like what we would think of as a mummy. And when <laughs> the Bible uh, references that when they went to the tomb and the the grave clothes were still there, it wasn't like a robe, but it was like the, in, the encasement of a mummy, but the body was missing out of the mummy. Uh, pretty interesting <laughs> stuff. Well, what about yeah. the people that say that, okay, the, the, the women went to the tomb, they were... They were uh, going with their spices and perfumes to anoint the body uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, who had uh, been crucified, and and they they just they just went to the wrong tomb, and there was actually an empty tomb in the area that had not been used, and they went to that tomb and they said he's been resurrected, his body's not here. Sure, if that were the case, that would have been resolved quite quickly. You know, Joseph of Arimathea, who, who buried Jesus, knew which tomb was his. And I, I'm sure the first thing he did after women went running and telling that Jesus was risen and disciples start going and telling that people were risen, he went and checked out his own tomb to see if, in fact, there was anybody there. And if uh, Jesus' body would have still been there, if the women would have went to the wrong grave, uh, I'm sure he would have said something. I'm sure the religious leaders who who killed Jesus, who didn't want Jesus to be alive. If it was just a different tomb, would have gone there and said, no, his body's here. Instead, they went around and telling people that the, that the body of Jesus Christ had been stolen. And uh, so they knew that the tomb was empty. It was obvious to them that the tomb that Jesus had been placed in was empty. And so the fact that people would say that it was a, a different tomb uh, – it's not very smart from my perspective. Uh, that would have been very that would have been solved very quickly. It would have sure gotten those uh, Roman soldiers off the hook if they uh, <laughs> yeah. if they could produce the right tomb and uh, the body. Yeah, was still without there. a doubt. Interesting. What about those who say that he he really wasn't dead? That uh, that he just he just fainted or, or lost consciousness on the cross, and they took a living body down off from the cross and, and put that in the, in the tomb. What, explain that theory, and then, and then how, do we, how do we answer that, or what's our perspective of that theory? Sure. The swoon theory is uh, what uh, people call it today, that he was actually just asleep. He was passed out, and as Saturday came along, he woke up after uh, being crucified and just walked out of the tomb and, and uh, went about his life. And uh, I think the skeptics who say that don't really understand what Jesus went through. Uh, they don't understand crucifixion. Uh, the fact is that he was beaten severely before he was ever even crucified. And then for six hours, he suffered on the cross of Calvary. Uh, for six hours, he was having a hard time gathering his breath. It was way worse than ever running a marathon. What uh, his body, the toll on his body that went through. And uh, then at the end of the evening, some soldiers took a spear, shoved it up through his side into his heart to make sure he was dead. And so the skeptics want you to believe that after all of that, that somehow Jesus Christ just woke up, and then he had the strength 
to be able to roll away a giant stone that had been placed in front of the tomb, and then to overpower Roman soldiers and get away without anybody ever saying anything about him overcoming that. And so the logistics of that is just silly to me, that someone could just think that he was taking a nap and uh, or unconscious and woke up and just walked out of the tomb. That would be bizarre if anyone was able to do uh, to, to any of that, have the physical strength to accomplish that after what the Roman crucifixion put them through. I wonder sure. what the uh, I wonder what the success rate of Roman crucifixion is. It seems like I've heard that the the Roman execution squad uh, never left a criminal alive. They were pretty proficient in their uh, treacherous work of crucifying criminals. Sure, we even know from the the gospel accounts that the two thieves that were on the cross with Jesus, they were still alive as the evening came, and they had to break their legs so they would suffocate and wouldn't be able to breathe. And so they didn't people that let people down from that cross until the job had been done. Uh, that was an execution, uh, just as it's carried out today. Executions are meant to kill people. And so they knew what they were doing, and there was no way they would have let Jesus down from that cross if he had uh, still been alive. Hmm. Interesting. How about um, some some skeptics will try to uh, look at the historic documents. We've got the, uh, the stories that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, historic accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. And some skeptics will try to find reason to believe that there are contradictions between these uh, historic accounts. And if there are contradictions between these historic accounts, then somebody's got to be wrong, and if somebody's wrong, you can't be sure about believing anything they say. How do we view the the um, alleged discrepancies between the historical accounts and how that bears upon our, our faith? Sure, there's definitely differences within the, the gospel accounts over the crucifixion and the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the fact is, this is a no-win situation. If uh, all four accounts were the same, uh, they would have said they copied off each other, they collaborated on their story, and uh, they just they made up the story to make it sound as good as possible. And so if you had four witnesses that all gave the same story, they would have said that wasn't true. But now you have four witnesses giving different types of facts, and they say it's not true. And so the reality is the skeptics don't want it to be true. And so they're going to look any excuse they can ha find to – to make it not true. You know, anybody that has kids uh, knows that there's different stories. Some of my kids are, are very detail-oriented. Some of them are bullet points. And so they go through the same event. They see the same thing happen. But when they come to tell me about it, they tell me different parts of the event. They tell me different things that were important to them, different things from their perspective that they saw. And that's what we have with the gospel accounts. We have Matthew and, and John who were eyewitnesses of it. Uh, John wrote his account decades after he saw the event. You still have Luke, who is a historian, who talked to different people at accounts. Mark, people believe, that uh, was possibly uh, Peter's uh, testimony of what happened. And so you have different perspectives, different guys hearing different stories and writing down what they thought was important and uh, what made the most sense to them in the story and giving us the information 
And But if you look at all the main details, it's still there. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. And there's many witnesses testifying to this fact. There's no denying it. And so all the main information is there within all the stories. And so they differ a little bit in the details, but it doesn't mean their details contradict. It was just their perspective of what was happening. You know, that word you just used, the word perspective, uh, became uh, an eye-opener to me uh, earlier in my uh, ministry as a preacher. Uh, growing up, I always thought, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have four different people that wrote the story of Jesus Christ, and, and uh, so you've got a repetitive uh, stories. And it wasn't until later... Uh, as a Christian, actually in the time of a, as a pastor studying the Word of God and teaching it and preaching it, that, that I began to really understand that the gospel writers didn't write with, for the purpose of just recording the history, the chronological history of the life of Christ, but they were writing to different groups of people, and they had a thesis. They had something that they wanted to emphasize. They had something that they wanted to teach, and God... Uh, inspired them to record, using the life of Jesus Christ, the events in his life and the stories in his life that best were fitted to prove the thesis that each of the gospel writers were inspired of God to record. So that we have, not four repetitive gospels, we have four uh, theses that are proved by the events in the life of Jesus Christ and they, uh, they were written initially to different groups of people. And so perspective became everything. And uh, that helped me so much in uh, working to dovetail. Uh, you know, my mind, I, I, I'm the bulletproof, uh, bullet list type of, uh, uh, of thinker. And so I like to synthesize information and, uh, and figure mm-hmm. out the chronological order and set it all in a logical fashion. And so the the realization that the Gospels are written from different perspectives to argue different, uh, different stories, different theses, that helped me uh, to be able to um, see through the arguments of the skeptics that try to treat them as parallel chronological accounts and therefore uh, finding what they call discrepancies or mistakes. Uh, in the Gospels, when in reality, um, they just include different facts, different stories. Some of them aren't, are, are written thematically, so they don't follow a chronological order. They follow a thematic order, and so uh, it, on, a, on a surface level by people that, aren't, um, that, that don't really understand the Bible and why God wrote it and how it was put together, they begin to, to find what they think are errors in the Bible and um, cast doubt on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from that perspective. Perspective sure. is everything. Yep. Hey, i got another question for you. Why do you think, with, you know, when we look back in history, and some of the people that we mentioned a moment ago, some of the, the people from back in history, some of the contemporary people that you mentioned that, that you know of and have followed their stories, with all of this um, real-life testimony of people who went from skeptics to ardent believers in Jesus Christ, 
Why is it that there are people who still reject the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in spite of all the evidence that makes it a credible story, the most credible of all historical tales? Why do people still reject it? Sure, that's a great question. And that's a hard one for us who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have seen the power, who know that it's true, that he's alive, and that he talks with us, and he's real to us, and and he's transformed our lives in an amazing way. It's hard for us to understand why other people wouldn't want that to be true. Just from the historical fact, as you were mentioning, the people have seen it. You know, the Bible tells us there were over 500 witnesses at one time. And uh, Paul said, many of them you can go talk to today. And so they weren't hiding this. This is documented evidence that has been seen. And so why wouldn't people want to believe that truth? Uh, To me, I I think it comes down to something Jesus told us in chapter number 3. After the famous verse of 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He continued speaking. And he said something very interesting in verse number 19. He says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I think that gives us a good answer of why people reject Jesus Christ. Because if the resurrection is true, if Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead, then what he taught is true. The fact that we are sinners, the fact that we deserve to be punished for our sin, every lie we have told, everything we look at that we shouldn't be looking at, everything we do that we shouldn't be doing, everything we say we shouldn't be saying, God sees it and he will hold us accountable to it. And we love our sin. We want to be able to continue in our sin. And if Jesus Christ is true, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we will be held accountable for our sin. And we have to give up our sin. And so I think men love the darkness. They love their sin more than they love the light, more than they love Jesus Christ. And so I think it's a matter of choice. It's not a matter of intellect. Anyone who has intellectually studied the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has come to the same conclusion. Yeah, there's overwhelming evidence that he did rise from the dead. But there's a heart issue. They don't want it to be true. Because if it's true, then God is real, and he will judge their sin, just as he did to Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And uh, that is something I think that people have a hard time getting over. Hmm. That's interesting. So the love for what I enjoy, because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. The love for what I enjoy overrides the acknowledgement that history is true. And Jesus sure. Christ I remember, did die. I remember when I was a young man recently saved, and um, I had preached at a, a funeral for a family member and shared the gospel and how Jesus Christ changed my life and how this family member had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And their life was transformed. And um, I remember shortly after, I was with a a friend of mine 
uh, that had been at the funeral had heard my testimony and the testimony of my family member. And uh, there was something that came on the TV, uh, something that was immoral that, uh, that we shouldn't be watching. And I turned away, and I wouldn't watch it. And my friend noticed that. And they, they later came up to me and said, look, I love what you said. I love the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. I love that there's opportunity. He said, but I don't think I could give up those things of looking at those things and watching those things. I don't think I want to give up those things. And so while they believed it was somewhat true, their sin was more important to them than to accept the truth of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I think many people reject the truth. Because they love their sin. Wow. I guess that's why the Lord sent the Holy Spirit after His departure, back ascending back to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to take over the administration of His work on earth. And the Holy Spirit's job, according to what Jesus told the apostles in the upper room, is to convict the world of sin of righteousness, and of judgment. And the only way that I'm going to want to be delivered from my sin that I enjoy is for the Spirit of God to bring such deep conviction to my soul. And, and, and Jesus said He will convict the world of, of sin and so when I become so convinced that I am a sinner in the face of a holy God, Jesus said he'll convict the world of righteousness. When I come to the re realization that I am not righteous, there is no good thing in me. I am an abject failure at pleasing a holy God. And then Jesus said, not only will the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin and of righteousness, but also of judgment. And when I become convinced in my heart by the work of the Spirit of God that I'm on my way to hell, where I will suffer for all of eternity for the sin, the rebellion against my Creator that I enjoyed for a season. And when I realize I'm a sinner who is not good and I'm heading for hell, then the convicting power of the Spirit of God makes that state of sin and the future judgment so distasteful that all of a sudden I want to be delivered from my sin. But until the Spirit of God does that work, then my sin becomes the excuse for why I don't want to believe any of this stuff about God in the Bible. Yeah. And thankfully God loves us enough that He does convict us, that He does show us the truth, and that He even died for us as we've been celebrating this week so we can have life. And so even though we're sinners, even though we love our sin, God loves us enough that he over and over again shows us that love by offering us salvation. Amen. He's a wonderful God. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why you're there in Uruguay, eh? Yes, yes. I tell you, as Paul said, if, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, our faith is in vain. We might as well go out and drink and party and live life to its fullest. I might as well pack up my family and head back home. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there's really no point in me being here. But uh, he did rise from the dead. And so there's a reason to go forth and show everyone else and tell everyone else that he is alive indeed. Amen. Chris, I know your testimony. I, we've been friends for a long time. And I remember how you as a 
18-year-old, a teenager, uh, an older teenager, really a young adult man, and uh, and you were living a sinful life, and yeah. and Jesus Christ brought conviction to your heart and saved your soul, and you went from enjoying the life of sin to being grateful to a God who had mercy on your soul and saved you and changed your life. You became a different person. I saw you change, yeah. become a new creation in Christ Jesus, as the Bible says. Yeah. It reminds me of that, that verse in the Psalms where the Bible says, Taste and see. Taste and see. There was um, a skeptic named Paul Tillich. Actually, he was a, a liberal theologian. He was born in the late 1800s. He died in 1965. He was a very influential liberal theologian in America. And he would deliver lectures and sermons uh, calling in question the supernatural elements of the Bible. He was a professed Christian, according to his version of Christianity, just a man-made, just a rationalistic, um, moral uh, way to live life, but no supernatural reality behind it, no miracles, uh, no resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I remember reading a story that a college in the mid-north, uh, uh, middle part of the United States, it might have been Detroit, it might have been in Detroit, it might have been in Chicago, I don't remember exactly, but they had a day every summer, they called it Baptist Day, and uh, that particular college uh, was a um, was associated with Christianity and it needed the resources, the contributions of Baptist churches uh, to be able to uh, meet their budget. And also they would have a Baptist day every summer and people would be invited to come. And they'd bring a sack lunch and eat out on the grass and uh, just a day of fellowship. And then they would go into the lecture hall and they always had a, a well-known uh, person of prominence in the, in the religious uh, scene in America to deliver a lecture, uh, and this particular day, uh, Paul Tillich uh, delivered a lecture uh, to the people gathered there that day, and the purpose of the lecture was to discredit the supernatural elements of Christianity and to deny the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and after, at the end of his lecture, uh, proving from his uh, intellectual perspective that the bodily resurrection of Christ was just a myth that was attached to Christianity. He asked if there were any questions. And there was a, there was a gentleman there that uh, had an apple uh, that he had had as a part of his sack lunch that he had eaten out on the grassy lawn. And, uh, and he stood to his feet and he said, uh, in a very country uh, manner of speaking, he said, he said Dr. Tillich, I, I do have a question. And he took the apple, and he took a big bite out of the apple, and you could, you could hear him crunch the apple, you know, the crisp apple. And, and then he would say, uh, I, I don't have the intellectual ability that you have. And he took another bite out of the apple, and you could hear the crunch of the apple. And he'd say, uh, I've never been to the schools that you went to and crunch, and uh, I've never read Niebuhr and, and uh, all of those uh, people that have influenced you crunch. And, and, and he went through this, and finally, at the end of crunching on this apple, he looked up. He said, my question 
Dr. Tillich, is this. The apple I just ate, was it a sweet apple or was it a bitter apple? And Paul Tillich looked at him and said, well, I have no way of knowing whether or not the apple you just ate was sweet or was bitter. Because I didn't taste it. And he dropped his apple core into his lunch bag and scrunched it up and said, and you have never tasted my Jesus. And he sat down. The story goes that there was a round of applause as everyone there in the congregation who disagreed with the liberal professor denying the resurrection but didn't have the courage to say anything about it because they couldn't match intellectual wit. But this old country preacher who simply said, you haven't tasted my Jesus. Yeah. And for those that have never experienced what you experienced, Chris, When Jesus Christ saved your soul, they'll never understand the reality of Jesus Christ because they've never tasted His grace and His mercy in their life. I'm glad God saved you, Chris. Amen. Me too. Got a good wife, got good kids, got a good ministry, and a new building there in Roche, Uruguay. And we're so proud of you here at Community Baptist Church and thankful for God's working in your life and what you've meant to the cause of Christ as you serve a risen Savior who who is alive today because he conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. Salvation is an amazing thing to enjoy. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, step out of Uruguay by way of technology and join us here on Easter Sunday at Community Baptist Church. I hope you have a great evening as a family there. You as well. Thank you, Pastor. Wasn't that a blessing to have Chris Sisler come in from Uruguay and speak to us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, We love Chris and Erica and their family and so grateful for the opportunity to be partners in ministry with them. Thank you for being with us this Easter day, and uh, we want you to know that throughout this past week, culminating with today, we produced a series of eight devotions on the week of Jesus' Passion. Each devotion is focused on the events of that particular day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right through from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. You can find those on our Facebook page and watch those if you haven't seen them, and uh, there'll be a blessing to you. We'll also be putting those on our YouTube channel as well. So thank you so much for being with us. Hey, you can help us to be able to make contact with new people if you would uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that or like our Facebook page. We appreciate it so much when people do that and uh, help us to reach new people here uh, from Community Baptist uh, Church. Uh, Next week we'll be coming to you by way of uh, technology services again, and so join us next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Have a great Easter Sunday evening. Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. 
I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.